I want to ask you if you've ever had something in your life not go according to plan. Is there anyone? Right? You know, sometimes in, in the little things, like you're planning a vacation and on your way, the car breaks down. Or you're trying out a new recipe, but you run out of an ingredient, right? Or you're planting a new flower and just happens to get eaten by bugs. Or you're about to save that document and that project, and then you get a beautiful blue screen. Or as you're about to press send on that email, load shitter, right? We've, we've all had things that have not gone according to plan, but sometimes the things that don't go according to plan are not small things. Sometimes they're big things. Sometimes it's a loved one who passes away. Maybe they don't pass away, but they leave. Maybe they cheat on you. They betray you, they lie to you, they reject you. Maybe it's the loss of your income or the loss of all your money or a bad investment or a bad deal. Perhaps it's a loss of a friendship or an experience of crime, a theft, someone taking something from you. Sometimes the things that don't go according to plan are not just small things. They're not just irritations, but they're life-changing things. They're the moments we can look back on in our lives and we can say, at that point, everything changed. At that, that moment redirected the course of my life. And for the last many weeks, we at this church, we've been challenging you to love people like Jesus loves them. And we've been asking you to love some very difficult people, to love the criminals, to love those who hate you, to love your enemies, to love the unbelievers, to love those who are broken, to love those who are traitors, to love those who are sexually immoral. But the question then becomes, as we wrap up the series, what happens to all the hurt they caused? Because what we're really asking you to do, church, what Jesus is asking you to do is to love the very people who hurt you. To love the people that caused you trauma. To love those who offended you, maybe broke you, possibly damaged you. To love the people that have caused your issues with mental health. To love those who have made you need to go to multiple therapist visits. To, to love those who have caused you to go for counseling. Like we're asking you to love the most difficult people in your life. And as we wrap up the series today, I didn't want to wrap it up and just leave all that pain out there and not address the pain. Because what do we do with this pain? What do we do with our memories? What do we do with all this hurt? What do we do with the trauma that all these people that I'm now just supposed to love, like what do we do with all this stuff that they caused in my life? So as we wrap up this series, I, I want to speak about the hurt that people cause. How do we deal with that? And probably the best way that I can encourage you to deal with that stuff is to share with you how I did. In fact, I want to share a little bit of my story today. And over the years, I've shown or shared snippets, but I've never just shared my story and what God really did in my life growing up. I want to share a little bit of my testimony for the first time from this platform on a Sunday because just like you, my life did not go according to plan. You know, um, when I was born, my parents were senior pastors of a church. 
And so ours a PK. That's what we call it. You know what a PK is? A pastor's kid. Do we have any other PKs in the house? We do. Oh, please stand. I just want to celebrate the PKs. It's not easy. Stand to your feet. Please stand to your feet. Come on, guys. Come on. You, if you're a PK, be upstanding. Woo! Of course, we've got Uncle Joe back there. So cool. So cool. Well, I was a PK, and life was pretty good. I remember being a very happy kid. I had a very loving, attentive mother. I had a father who was just like crazy charismatic, full of fun. I played with us a lot, tackled us a lot. He was like my hero. So it was like the early part of my life. And when I was six years old, all of that changed. When I was six years old, on my mom's birthday, we had a visit from the elders in our church, only to accuse my dad of having eight affairs with the woman in the church. Some of them that he had been doing marriage counseling with. You can imagine that was a really difficult night. As a six-year-old boy, my life had a bomb dropped on it like this. The shrapnel of that I'm still dealing with today. That night, we lost everything. In fact, the, the people, there was a lot of angry people around, as you can imagine, but I got to see just how angry Christians could be, right? And that night, we fled town. I remember my dad saying we should pack just as much as we could fit into one bag. We all jumped in the car, and my parents just started driving. They just had to get out of town. There was really angry people, justifiably so, angry at my dad, angry at us as a family. So that night, we fled town. We landed up um, in a small town called Escort. My parents knew another senior pastor couple, Dermot and Glenda Sandals, in a small town called Escort. And uh, we fled there, and they took us in, and I got to see straight away just how the love of God, thank goodness I saw that, the love and the hospitality of Christians, and they put us in their house, and they just started looking after us. I mean, my parents were now unemployed, and we were homeless. We had nothing. They paid for our school fees. They got our school uniforms. They organized my parents' jobs. Eventually, my parents got a bit on their feet, and we moved out of that pastor's house. But you can imagine, my parents' marriage was not the same. It had been so hit by that news and by the realization that my dad had been seriously unfaithful. My parents tried to work on that through the years, but their marriage never really recovered. In fact, when I was nine years old, while we were living in Escort, my dad decided that he wanted to buy a farm outside of town. And what he had said to us is that he doesn't want us to see it yet. He wants to go and spend some time there and uh, set it up for us and then tell us when it's ready. Obviously, my mom, knowing the history, started to start hey, something doesn't sound so good. My dad refused to let us come to the farm. He was insistent it must be a surprise. So one night, my mom says to us kids, my dad, he just spent hours there, days there. She said to my dad, uh, she said to us, we're going to go find dad. Now, my sister's friend had happened to see my dad pull into a certain driveway on the farm road and tell my sister. And my sister happened to tell my mom. And so 
My mom's like, you phone that friend now. We're going to go find that farm. And so one night we jump into our car and we're just traveling on the dirt roads of these farms until finally, guess what we spot? My dad's car. We open the gate. We pull into the driveway. My mom walks up to the car and what does she see inside? A woman's handbag. So we go into the house. My dad looks like he's seen a ghost, right? Completely shocked, trying to play it cool, like, oh, you guys found the place and let me show you around. This is where we're going to be staying. My mom opens the cupboards and what does she find? But woman's clothing and not hers. So we knew someone was there. My dad insisted he was alone. And my mom reminded him that no one leaves their handbag. No woman leaves their handbag in someone else's car. And so we started looking for her, opening doors, opening rooms, going into the sheds. And eventually we found her crouching behind a barrel in one of the farm barns outside. That was the second night that a bomb went off in our family. World War III erupted. And I don't need to tell you what kind of words were used or what kind of things were thrown or what kind of punches were launched because I'm sure you can fill in all the gaps. And that was pretty much the night my parents' marriage ended. A little while after that, my dad decided to leave us for that lady who he was actually in marriage counseling with, doing their counseling with. And he started divorce proceedings, which my mom initially didn't know about. She actually found out she was divorced through the local newspaper that announced it. The relationship between my mom and my dad, obviously through all of this, had really broken down, and it was an ugly divorce. Some of you know what that's like to live through just a really ugly divorce. A lot of tension, a lot of fighting, a lot of public fighting, which as a kid I felt so humiliated by. A lot of being dragged into court and seeing different social workers and needing to testify on behalf and explain cases. A custody battle started to ensue. But as a boy, man, I just struggled not having my dad at home. I really miss my dad. My mom, the word she uses is the word pining. And I would just pine. I would just sit and not move and just sit in this pain. And it started to completely affect me. In fact, what started to happen is I would go to school and at school, I would just find myself crying all the time. Now, how many of you know, if you want to be really popular at school, cry all the time? No. My self-confidence started to get such a knock and I started to lose every friend I thought I had until I had none. I got called names. I got bullied. I was a sissy in the class. I was the one who just couldn't hold myself together. It was taking such a knock on me. And I started to lose slowly but surely all self-confidence. In the middle of this, feeling so rejected by my dad that he would go and choose another family and leave us, my parents' custody started just to get really toxic, that battle. In fact, my dad didn't even know where we were living now. 
but he found out because we were in a small town in Escort. Anyone know where Escort is? It's tiny. If you burp wrong, it's on the front page of the newspaper, right? Like, everyone knows everything. So here we were in this small town. It wasn't hard for him to figure out where we live now. I can just imagine now from this perspective how desperate my dad was. But it just came out in the wrong ways. One day he waited until he saw my mom had left the house. We didn't know he knew where we lived. And uh, he pitched up at the house with a gun. And he was insistent. He called my sister and I to the gate. And he's just insisted that we either open the gate or he's just going to start shooting. Now, as a kid, this was my hero, right? Just couldn't even comprehend what was happening. Like, where's the fun guy? My sister and I were so full of fear. We just shut that door and we just hid and we just prayed. No bullets would fly and nothing did and he didn't shoot. But my mom didn't know this happened and we didn't tell her dad came with a gun. I mean, can you imagine? Okay, she only found out quite recently that happened. And because she didn't know, weeks later through their conversations, she agreed to let my sister and I go out on a trip with my dad. So we get in the car and again, my dad's just desperate, right? And he locks the doors and he says, I'm not taking you back home. And he starts driving out of escort. And he's driving. We start crying. What's happening, right? It's like total chaos. We then screaming. My sister's screaming. She just out of panic. My dad's speeding. He's just trying to get she out of panic. She just grabs the steering wheel. She pulls it. And that car just starts spin, spin, spin. My dad, so mad and so shocked, he just slaps her right across the face. She's bleeding in the face. The car's spinning. Everything comes to a halt. And we're like, Dad, we, we don't want to go. And that started really the decline in our relationship with my father, which would then start to decline worse and worse and worse. In fact, at some point in the custody battle, my dad was just desperate to win something. So he started to pitch to my mom this idea of, <clears throat> What if he could get my sister and my mom could keep me? Now, as a young kid, knowing my dad's not fighting for me anymore and only wants my sister, man, just started driving home this message again. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of love. I don't deserve anyone's attention. In fact, that very first Christmas, after the divorce, my dad only pitches up with Christmas presents for my sister. And just nothing for me. At the same time, he refuses to give anything, no maintenance. So we end up on the brink of poverty. My mom had this uh, part-time job. She was earning 900 grand a month, um, which back then was not a lot of money. We moved into this little mud hut with a thatch roof and wooden floors. Um, it's been declared a national monument in Esco. That's how old it was. <clears throat> And we really struggled. We lived on lack and by faith and through the donations and hands out of people. I started getting really jealous with people at school because, like, I just wanted to know what it's like to stand and get some tuck shop or go on that camp or just buy something new. It's just, and in the meantime, my confidence is so hit. There's just nothing left in me. My mom's trying to fix this. She's trying to encourage me to get friends as a concerned parent would, she saved some money, the little we had, and she decided she's going to throw me a birthday party at our mud hut, right? 
And so she invites everyone in our class to my birthday party. And no one comes. Not a single kid. Out of desperation, my mom goes and tries. She, she forcibly picks up a kid in my class, brings him to the party, and he refused to play with me. <laughs> him and my sister went off and built a treehouse or something. And again, I'm just being told this message. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not good enough. My self-confidence got so shot that I just became cripplingly shy. I struggled to talk. I struggled to look people in the eye. I just remember what that feeling was. I just didn't want to even, I just had no identity left, nothing left. My mom used to start praying just against my shyness. Some would say now she prayed too much, right? Um, but guys, I want to tell you, I remember that boy. I remember how broken he was, how angry he was, how confused he was. And I want to tell you this. No one would look at that kid and think that one day he would be standing on a stage like this. No one. Take the most broken boy you know. That was me. I had nothing to give. And I was so confused. And, and my mom wasn't coping at that time. She entered a time of depression and would just go work, come home, and then just sleep. In just so many ways, I felt like I had lost both parents. And it just made me feel so alone in life. But one thing, my mom, and listen, parents, to this. One thing she never stopped doing, no matter how terrible it got, is we always went to church. We always and, you know, I look back and I think, why? Because, I mean, it was church that hurt us. It was pastors that messed up our life. She knew the hypocrisy, literally, of pastors. But we were always found in the house of God because we were not there for people. And so through this experience, I had Christians in my life. And this is a story I would keep hearing. And I think God was just shouting this to me. I just kept on hearing the story. God is your father. God is your father. God is your dad. God wants to be your father. He wants, he wants you to be his child. This is a story I just remember as a kid. Every time I heard it, it would, it would hit something in me. It would touch a sore point because I just desperately, I needed a dad. I desperately needed a dad. And I'd, I'd read and hear verses in church like Romans 8.15. It says, so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father, Abba. And I was told this word Abba means daddy. You mean the God of creation, the king of kings, the one who made everything wants to adopt me. And he wants me to call him daddy, dad, which for me is just such a personal word. When I think of dad, I think of a kid sitting on his dad's lap, right? And just like telling jokes and confiding. And so I had this battle that started to wage inside of me as a young teenager. Because on one side, the world was telling me, hey, Ryan, if you want happiness, if you want to be successful, do this and try this and, and sniff this and watch this 
and drink this and go here. This is where you're going to find success and happiness in life. And on the other side, this was this invitation by this loving God who said, I want to be your father and I want you to be my child. And there was this tug of war, like, which way am I going to go? Am I going to be all into this world? Because I don't know, there's church people, they've hurt me and they've messed it up. And I can see the hypocrisy of Christians. It was so clear and it affected my whole life. But on this other side, this invitation for this God who wanted to be my dad, it just, it became such, such a beautiful invitation in my life. And so I decided, okay, God, all these people, they're telling me you want to be my father, then I'm going to believe it. And from now on, you're my dad. From now on, you are my father. Now, guys, get this. I know that we know God is our father, but I only saw him as father. See, for many of us, we see a God who sometimes steps into our life as a dad. It's almost like a costume he wears or a role he plays. But for me, God was dead. And so I decided, God, I'm just going to, every interaction I have, you're just going to be my dad. And so everything that I felt so desperately I needed from my earthly father, that massive void that he had left behind, the years of rejections, the birthdays where I didn't get a phone call, all that need, I would just come and say, God, you be the guy. You be the dad of my life. And so when I needed advice for girls, <laughs> guess who I spoke to? I go lie under the stars, lie on my bed. I just talk. I started to read his word. I started to ask him for pocket money because that's what my dad would do. I started to ask him for counsel and advice because that's what my dad would do. When I was nervous, I'd go to him and say, Man, Dad, I just, sure, because that's what my dad would do. God became my father, and suddenly supernatural things started happening in my life. You know, on the night that I was prayed for to be baptized in the Holy Spirit as a very young boy, I don't even think I was a teenager yet. Remember going to bed that night, and as I'm trying to fall asleep, I hear this in my room. Ryan, tell you a voice so loud and powerful and yet kind and good and beautiful, and I just lay frozen. Then I heard it again. Ryan, and this time I just ducked under the cover. I remember lying to thinking, what is happening? What is happening? And while I'm lying under the cover, shaking, Ryan, I just flicked open that, that blanket. I ran out of my room as fast as I could go to my mom. Did you hear that? Like, that was so loud. Who is that? What is that? Go to my sister. Did you hear anything? No one had heard anything. Go back to my mom. She tells me about Samuel in the Bible. She's like, Ryan, I think God's speaking to you. I'm like, is it the voice of my dad calling me by name? And then I was like, God, you, you're real. You're active. You're real. You're really here. And so I just pressed in God, this is what I need. And this is what I need help with. And this is what I need counsel with. And I started getting so many answers from his word, I would read and there would be verses that like jump out of me and I'd write them at the back of my Bible and commit them to memory because these were the words of my father. And every need I had, I'd bring to him. I remember 
how this one time we were really, there was some camp or something, the school was going on, and I could so often, I could never go on those unless it got sponsored, right? And um, I had these drawers underneath my bed. Anyone grow up with drawers underneath their bed? Come on, I'm not that weird, right? Just, <laughs> yay, okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, so I had these drawers underneath my bed. I opened the bed, I'm talking to God, I'm lifting my head, and Dad, I just... I really want to go this time, and I just really want us to pay, and I just don't want to like get sponsored again. I don't even want to ask for money again. Because you're having this whole heart-to-heart with my dad. Pull open the drawer underneath my bed. There was this book we had for school, and on the cover of the book was a painting, beautiful painting. I've always been drawn to art and creative things. I'm looking at this painting, thinking, oh, it's a beautiful painting. I'm talking to God. I'm looking at this painting, talking to God. God, I just need that money. Look back down, and there's 100 grand lying on top of the book, at the painting I'd just been looking at. I tell you, that shocked me. I was just like, what just happened? That just appeared like, what just happened? I promise you in my house, 100 grand would not go missing, like, without no. To get to my mom, I was like, what just happened? So I did a pray because I got a job offer uh, in my late teens from Jane Selter, who's still in our church, how cool is that, right? And she said, hey, it could be a newspaper boy for her. And I thought, wow, this would be like my first opportunity to like earn money and just be able to do something nice. And that felt very attractive to me. But I didn't have a bicycle. And so guess what I did? I asked my dad, God, I need a bicycle. This is an opportunity. I'd love to do it. Please can I get a bicycle? You know that month I won two bikes? And I hadn't entered either competition. <laughs> now I had two. One I could put a basket on for newspapers, and one I could just use privately. I didn't even ask for that. Like, this is great. There was times in our house, because it wasn't like money just dropped from heaven and we were in financial freedom. Things were tough. There was times we weren't sure how we were going to pay the bills or if someone pitched at our house. I remember this one time someone pitched at the house. The doorbell rings and you look at each other like, we don't even have tea and coffee. Like, this is not a good time. We didn't know who's at the door. Like, right? And we open the door and the entire veranda just covered in groceries. No one there. Just covered. And you know when God provides, he gets the good stuff. Like the stuff we would never have bought. We were like, whoa, what is this? Whoa, right? Just provision. Like God just did such beautiful, miraculous things. I remember a time where our car broke down and we couldn't afford to fix it. So you know what we did? We just laid hands on it. Be like, be healed in Jesus' name. <laughs> and the car started. And we, we, we got around. That's exactly how God did. And so my relationship with my dad became very intimate. I would just talk to him, share my day with him, wake up. He was just always in my mind. I just loved his word. I started this spiritual habit where I would just write letters. I still, especially on the days where I was just experiencing hurt and turmoil and trauma, and I just knew my dad does not want this in me. So I'd start to write letters to him, dear God, and then just vomit out all that stuff. 
And there was days when I felt like a letter was particularly meaningful or deep or very personal. I would fold up that letter and I would put it on the windowsill right next to my bed. You know how many times I did that when I woke up in the morning, I'd open my curtains and the letter was gone. And it was like this, just this little sign from God again and again and again, Ryan, I'm here and I am your dad. I am your father and you are my child. I think church, a lot of times as Christians, we have this concept of God that he's far away and that he's inactive and that he has this label of father, but I wanna tell you he's close and he is so active and he wants to see you as, he wants you to see yourself as a child and he wants to be your dad. And I don't know who's hurt you. I don't know what trauma has been in your life. I don't know what people, what criminals or haters or traitors or betrayers, I don't know what people have done against you that has caused you trauma and pain. But here's one thing I know, your father wants to heal that. In fact, healing can only be found in him when you come to him as child and when you allow him to be dad, he's a real dad. Do you know that your salvation, if you're a Christian today, was an adoption? That's how the Bible describes it. You've been adopted. Listen to this in Ephesians 1 verse 45. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And he chose us, by the way. Look at someone and say, God chose you. Uh, You did not choose him. He chose you. That's how adoption works. No kid walks into the courtroom and says to the judge, hey, judge, I'd like those parents, please. No, 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 no. That's not how adoption works. It is a choice of the parent, and it causes them and costs them a lot of pain and time and effort. God chose you, it says, in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. I told you reading those words to me. A dad who wanted me. And it gave him such pleasure to invite me into his life. God looked at his family and then he looked at me, this rejected little boy, with no identity, and he said, I want you in my family. I want you, I choose you. It gives me great pleasure to call you my son. God chose you. Your salvation is an adoption. And in fact, even when Jesus is teaching us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, how do our prayers start? Jesus teaches us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven... God's affection towards you is always as child and his relationship with you is always as father. He's our father. He's our dad. He's such a good dad. He's not a God who pretends to be dad. He is your father. You have been adopted into his family. And I want to remind you now that your adoption is your identity, that that is who you are. If you want to know who you are, you are a child of God. And I tell you, adoption changes everything about you. Everything. My wife and I have had the privilege of adopting a few kids. And I want to tell you, nothing stays the same. Everything changes. Their name changes. Their attitude changes. Their future changes. Their education changes. 
Their family changes. Everything about you is different the moment God adopts you into his family. You're not the same. Adoption is a life-changing, transforming experience. And you have been adopted. Do you know that even Jesus was adopted? That's how powerful adoption is. If you read through the Old Testament, you see all of these prophecies about the coming Messiah, the Mosaic prophecies. They tell us who Jesus is going to be, what Jesus is going to do, and they tell us the, the bloodline that Jesus will come from. And it tells us that Jesus will come from the, blo- the bloodline of Shem and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David. Well, when you start reading the book of Matthew, and you see that it is a correct bloodline from Adam, and that Shem and Jacob and Isaac, they're all included in this bloodline, what you see is that that genealogy in Matthew ends with Joseph, not with Mary. Now, did Jesus have any blood relation to Joseph? No. He was blood related to Mary, but not Joseph. So how did Jesus form part of the heritage and the the line, the correct line, prophesied hundreds of years before while it's through the power of adoption. Joseph accepted Jesus as his own. In fact, we're told in Luke 3.23 that Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. This is how legitimate and powerful adoption is. It is not a second-class citizen. You are child as if you were born in that bloodline. And you and I have been adopted into the family of God. This is not some kind of second-hand citizenship. You are the child as God of God as if you were born the child of God. You are his child, and he is your father. And the people sitting around you, they are your brothers and sisters. And I know some of them can get a little bit weird every now and again. I know. But you also get weird sometimes. And in spite of that, our dad, he's perfect. And I want to tell you, some of you had a great dad growing up. But our God is a better dad than your great dad. And some of you, you didn't have a great dad. He abandoned you, or he died, or he was at home but really not present in your life. Well, guess what? You have a better dad. You have a great dad. You have a perfect father who looks at you and says, you are my child. This is the relationship we have. It's Father, son, father, daughter, our relationship is parent-child. You are my child. And I wish, church, that we would just see God as our dad, as our father, because in that there is healing. In coming to him with our pain, he restores us and redeems us and counsels us and speaks to us, and he's active in our lives. This is not some foreign concept. It's a real thing. He wants to be your dad. You know, often my kids, they're probably irritated by it. They'll come and ask me for something. And I'll be like, sorry, guys, I can't do this one, but go ask your perfect dad. When I'm putting him to sleep at night, almost 100% of the time, I'll say, I love you. I love you. And then I'll say, how does God get it right to outlove me? Like he loves you more than I do because I know it to be true. We have a dad who's so perfect and he invites us into the family and in being in this family, 
He transforms us because that's what adoption does. You know, I, uh, the first child we adopted, and this is one of the reasons why adoption is so close to my heart because I've been adopted. The first child we adopted, my wife and I, was Emma, and she was almost four when we adopted her. Do you think Emma felt like a Lenkildi on day one? I promise you she did not. We didn't even speak the same language. We spoke English. We didn't know any Zulu. She only spoke Zulu. She didn't know any English. She couldn't even say hello. But then you fast forward just three months. Guess what language Emma's speaking? English. Now, did that happen because every time she spoke Zulu, we're like, what are you saying? Stop it with that language. Stop, stop, stop. No. You know how she picked up our language? She spent time with us. She spent time with the father. And eventually her language changed. Her sense of humor changed. So much so that my wife, she gets so irritated with us because we're like the same people. Right? But it's because as we love him, we imitate him. Have you ever as a dad, those of you who are fathers, like caught your kid imitating you? I love it when this happens. Like I'm standing in the kitchen like this. I look down. And there's a little kid who's taken my exact same posture. Right? Man, because they think I'm cool. They think I'm awesome. Right? Until they become teenagers. But <laughs> right when they're young. Right? And then it tells us in Ephesians, imitate your father. Why? Because you think he's cool. Because you think he's awesome. So you want to take his posture. You want to walk like him and talk like him. You want to, the more you spend time with him, your language just changes. He's not like pointing out everything. No, it just changes. Just spend time with the father. It changes. Your thinking just changes. Your behavior just changes. Why? Because you're just hanging out with the father so much. It just he rubs off on you and you think he's cool. So you just try to do what he does and speak like he speaks and walk like he walks because he's awesome. This is a power of adoption. You have a new name. You are now Christian. And it doesn't matter what family you came from. You are a child of God. And it doesn't matter who's left you and who's rejected you and what nonsense was spoken over your life. All of that is gone because now you have a father who loves you and he will never leave you and never forsake you. And he wants to counsel you and he wants to speak to you and he wants to heal you and he wants to encourage you and do everyday life with you. That's what we have now because of Jesus Christ. We have a father. We are not alone. We have a father. You have a father. Look at someone and say, you have a father. And church is so good. He's so good. And I just worry sometimes that like, as we go through this Christian thing, as we're trying to heal from all our hurt, that we forget we have a good dad. We're not meant to do it alone. That we forget that our dad, he loves us so deeply, more than anyone else does. You know, I've loved a lot of people. I've never gone and counted how many hairs I have on their head. But God, he knows thinks about you more than there's grains of sand, Scripture tells us. He loves you. And I hope that we can come to Him with all our baggage, with all our hurt, with all our pain. We can come to Him just as child. We can trust Him to provide. Trust Him to speak to us. He wants to speak to you. We can trust Him to heal. 
We can trust him. You're his child. Do you know that my kids do not come to me and say, Dad, did you remember to pay the electricity? Dad, did you pay the school fees this month? Dad, are you going to make a plan with the food? Like, no, because why? I know their needs and they're dead. How much more, church? How much more, your heavenly father, if you know how to give good gifts, how much more? I want to pray for you. Can you close your eyes? God, I pray for your children today. Everyone in this room that's been adopted. Every single one in this room that you call child. And God, I, I worry that some of your kids are sitting here and they don't know how loved they are. That they've missed their relationship with a good dad. That they're seeking for all this stuff in the world, for affirmation. They're seeking for success. They're seeking for hope and joy. They're just looking at the world. God, they're missing you. You're the giver of all that stuff. God, you have done it for me. Thank you, Dad, for your healing and restoring, for your giving nature. God, I pray you would do it for the children in this room that, that seek you out as Father. Perhaps right now, just in your heart or quietly or out loud, you just want to whisper to God or say to God, God, I'm your child. You are my Father. Church, I encourage you to interact with him as dad in every interaction you have. When you pray, when you worship, when you come to church, see him as a dad because he's such a good dad. He's so good. And I don't know, maybe life hasn't gone according to plan. And there's been bumps in the road and unexpected crisis. I'm sure you've experienced some trauma and pain, but... You have a good dad, such a good dad. He wants to help you through that all. And so God, I pray for healing for your children. Holy Spirit, would you renew our minds so we could see you so clearly for who you are. And God, I thank you. You don't just pretend to be dad. You are our father. You're our dad. May you speak to your children. Show your hand, God. Show your supernatural power. Show them by your might who you are. Reveal yourself to them, I pray. Church, I believe that there's some of you today, you're ready to be adopted. You know today that God is asking you to become part of his family and you're ready to receive his adoption. Perhaps you've never given your heart to the Lord. You've never become a Christian before. But as you sit here today, you want in. You want into the family. You want into the parent-father-child relationship. And so if you've never prayed this prayer, I want to pray with you. And just so I know who I'm praying for, I'm only going to ask you to do one thing. If you want to become a Christian and accept God's adoption, just put up your hand and then put it down so I know who I'm praying for. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. 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 Hands all over this room. Wow. There are the family of God is growing today. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I just pray with all my heart that as we pray this prayer, that you come to God as child. Come to him as child. 
Let's pray these words together. And I'm going to ask all of us in the room, we're about to become brothers and sisters to a few more. So as a sign of support in this family, let's pray this together. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for wanting me and finding me when I was lost. But today I'm found because I give my life to you and I accept your invitation to become part of your family. God, I'm sorry for everything I did apart from you and I ask for forgiveness and I thank you that today I am forgiven that the old is gone and the new has come Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God, that you lived and died and rose again. So it is my joy to declare you are Lord of my life from this moment and into eternity. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.